0: Hi, I'm Jo Clark, and thanks so much for joining me today. This is the Redefining Midlife podcast, a podcast designed for the 40 plus woman who is determined to challenge society's myths and beliefs around midlife. It's for the woman who is inspired and ready to define midlife her way. Join me each week as I chat to health and wellness experts for up-to-date information on how to live well, as well as some special conversations with incredible everyday women ...redefining what midlife can look like. Here's to making our next half of life even better than the first. One thing I love about this podcast is the opportunity I have to interview incredible everyday women... ...and this episode is a perfect example of that. Now deciding if or when to have a baby is a big decision for most women... ...with so many layers attached. There's no black or white answer and every single woman will have her own unique set of circumstances to take into account... These can include things like career, relationships, fertility issues, age, financial security, support networks, and so on. And the road to parenthood for some women can be long and difficult. Today on the podcast, you'll meet Meg Parkinson. As one of five children, Meg grew up on a property in Western Queensland. After boarding school, she trained as a teacher and established a successful career. Meg was ticking all of the boxes. However, it was after a relationship breakup in her early 30s that a colleague asked Meg if she was worried that she mightn't have children of her own. And this hadn't even occurred to Meg before because she thought that she would meet somebody one day and they'd start a family. But her 30s sped by and quickly became her 40s. It was then that Meg decided to walk the path to motherhood on her own. Unfortunately, as many women discover, falling pregnant wasn't all that easy for Meg And with every passing year, it was getting even more difficult. Now, Meg's story is one of incredible hope, love and determination. And I want to thank Meg for bravely sharing her raw and vulnerable journey with us. And as you'll hear, it has an incredible blockbuster-like ending. Welcome, Meg, to the podcast. Our conversation today is going to be one that's going to touch people's hearts. It's going to be a story that women and many women are going to be able to relate to. And on all levels, they're going to discover what a beautiful human you are and what an incredible story that you are going to be sharing with us today. So thank you for coming along onto the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you, Joe. Does it matter if I'm crying at the beginning? <laughs> that was beautiful.
0: <laughs> no, not at all, Meg. It is a very special story. But I want people to be able to understand who Meg is right from the get go. So we're going to do a bit of time travel now. And, you'll, and I'd love for you to share about
1: younger Meg and where you grew up and what your childhood was like. So I grew up in Western Queensland on a sheep property outside of Cunnamulla, which is about 10 hours west of Brisbane. And I actually had a really lovely childhood. I think it was one that really helped shape uh, who I've become because when you're from Western Queensland, you learn to be a risk taker because you're out on motorbikes, you're out riding horses, you... You're really, I think, independent um, and you look have to look after yourself and there are jobs to do. Yeah. So I really appreciate that I had that experience because I think it's, well, I think other people, you know, people from the city, I just have a different way of learning those things. You see
0: the, the beauty of life when you're living out west as well, don't you? You see the, the harshness and, and uh, the whole life cycle is in front of, of your face from a very young age so not only are you getting all of those experiences that you just mentioned you're also seeing what life is yeah the, what life can be like you're seeing the drought there then you see the flooding rains and then the life that comes out of that and the the cycles of the animal it's, it, it's quite incredible growing up for kids.
1: I, I really I think so and I but I also feel really privileged because we are able to to city, were able to go to the city we were able to go to the beach uh, we didn't go on overseas holidays or anything but but the. Yeah. Other thing that I loved about my childhood was the community and how, you know, every weekend we'd go to tennis and everyone was at tennis and so much playing and fun. And, yeah, we're just really lucky. And then when I was 10, I believe, I went away to school. Um, I went to a primary school in Toowoomba. And that was also really fun. It was not a terrible thing. and
0: Yes, because my children grew up you know, on an isolated property around the the Kannamala district as well and the kids grow up knowing that they're going to be going away to boarding school parents Mm. in the city often say oh you know if you're naughty you're going to go to boarding school we'll send you there Mm. as a threat whereas growing up children always knew that they were going to be going away to school and that's another conversation on itself when you're a parent going through that but (laughs) as kids you you knew that was just going to be part and parcel of it and that was what was common and that was everyone just went away to school
1: Yep, everybody did it, mm. so it was not unusual at
0: all. So you obviously had a lot of experiences growing up and in your, your younger years. What was life like then um, when you were a younger woman in your late teens and early 20s?
1: Well, it was fun. I was at uni. <laughs> I, I went um, to Armadale Uni and, and did teaching. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I liked the idea of being a psychologist, Uh, it was always going to be something to do with children but then uh, I thought well it might be best to be a teacher because then I can work with the children every day and but I think the thing that I learned when I first became a teacher was that you think you're going to be a really great teacher (laughs) and really nice and love all the kids but then real stuff happens and you just Sometimes go back into your default system of sometimes how your parents might have spoken to you, and and sometimes I didn't think I was a very nice person. So that led me to start to learn how to manage children and their behaviour and help them learn in ways that didn't ruin the relationship because. Um, you know, yelling at somebody is never okay. And and sometimes in the moment, I would find myself doing that. And um, obviously, I don't like that idea because, but in the end, you just want the children to be calm and feel ready to learn. Yeah, uh, they're bringing things from home or they're they're having difficulties with their friends, they're, they're just not ready to learn. So my philosophy, I suppose, was to get them ready to learn. And then i to be make myself redundant because I wanted them to be able to do it themselves. Mm. So I suppose I, sh- I realised a lot of the parents would come in and they would say, well, I just don't know what to do. <laughs> so they were all trying to do the best they could as well. And so I thought, well, it was easy for me to get the information as a teacher to help children, but how do parents get it? And I know yeah. there are programs out there, but a lot of them I think are for Uh, parents who are really struggling in you know with their own lives I
0: so more for crisis help is that is that what you're saying so yeah I think programs out there for parents who are yeah
1: yeah and there are a lot of they're very health-based so there's no not really problem solving within them for each individual family because in families where the the parents are professionals. They're already doing a lot of amazing things with their kids. It's just when it gets tough, what do you do then? <laughs> when yes. you don't know what to do, what do you do? Yeah, and that's the people I like to help because there are no, there's no funding for that. There's no, mm. um, in not a lot of information, and you don't want to have to wade through a whole book just to get a little bit of an, a little bit of assistance. Yeah. And-, and they're
0: such lifelong skills, aren't they? If you can teach parents, mm. then you can teach the children those children have got those skills then that they can pass on so that that um, you know that circle just gets larger and larger because they if had the parents not known then they would be treating their child differently that ch- that child would be learning a set of skills completely different so they pass the you know the not so successful skills on so having what you're doing really helps to broaden understandings and knowledge of of how to best cater for for behavioral challenges when they arise
1: Exactly. And and you know, while well, I teach how to discipline as opposed to punishment, mm. um, you know, that's just such a small part of it. Mainly it's about how to communicate. Yeah. So how to communicate to, to so that you continue to have high expectations but keep the relationship. Yeah. And it's actually easy once you know how to yes. do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, you don't know what you don't know. So if someone's there to guide you through it all, That's that makes it that much easier. And so yeah. Meg, you, you had that business, you started up a business where you were helping parents with those skills, learning those skills. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I did.
1: Yeah. Okay. Parent.
0: yeah. And so what do you just hold um, one-on-one sessions? How do you normally work with parents when they're
1: I do um, one-on-one and classes. So I was doing face-to-face classes. But, uh, when I start up again, it'll, it'll all be online. Yeah, uh, Things have changed. Yes. <laughs> and just uh, do a lot of talks in daycare centres because I think the earlier you get to learn these skills, then the easier sure. the rest of the, tri- the journey is. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yes. but it's at, what other yes. word do you use? The I know. But it is, it's, it's kind of like, what do you call it? And
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I sort of cringe at that, that term as well, my toes curl, but yeah, no, I find another <laughs> word with fact. Yeah. I think it might even be in one of the questions I'm going to ask you. So strap yourself in. Yeah. So Meg, at the moment, your business is on hold and we'll talk about why it's on hold very, very mm. shortly. But if people want more information on this, because you know, they, they might be finding themselves in a the situation that you've just described, I've got your links to uh, your website and your Facebook page so people can, yeah, can look there so. deeply, yeah. Oh, great. So <laughs> your journey to parenthood um, was long and difficult and that's something that's shared by many women. I'm going to share a little bit of what you wrote to me recently. Okay, so it's you said, it was after a relationship breakup in her early 30s that a colleague asked Meg if she was worried that she wouldn't have children of her own. This hadn't hadn't even occurred to Meg. She thought that she would meet someone one day and they would start a family. Though as her 30s sped by and became her 40s, she realised that even though there were sometimes men around to date, she didn't feel like having children with any of them. She still wasn't too worried. Her mother and her grandmother had children naturally in their early 40s. She was just following a family tradition, but still it was time to act. So we know for many, many women, deciding to have a baby and then getting pregnant is not always easy. But you had a few extra levels of difficulty added to that, being a single woman. So for you, without a partner, IVF, and then getting older as well, because you know we talk a lot on this show about perimenopause and menopause, mm-hmm. it, that made things sort of even more difficult. Can you take us through the early stages of your journey on, on how, you know, you started IVF and what what's how long that process took before you went, oh, it's not really working for me.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think I was just about to turn 40 and I and that's when I went, oh I mean, this is weird. <laughs> Everything's gone so quickly. And now I'm at this age that I have to really mm-hmm. uh, worry about this. Um I was in a relationship that was a bit wispy. I thought Mm. and I had to make the decision because it was really hard um, for me to decide whether to have a child on my own meaning the child would have no father Mm. or do I have a child with this person and then at least the child has a father and and the question was which is the selfish option
0: yes (laughs)
1: um
0: that's a real moral dilemma, isn't it? I mean, okay. really,
1: that would and that yeah. A few years. That honestly yeah. took me a couple of years, and in the end, uh, I, I chose to try with this man. Um, but I only did that for two months, <laughs> and then, and just in making the decision, helped me to to realize, no, that's yeah. the wrong decision, and. Um, and I went. No, I want to be a happy person, and then the child will be a happy child. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. I so I had to let go of that idea of the child having a father. Mm. Um, and so I went. To, I mean, I'd probably already been to the doctor. I think just to check my viability to see whether I was going to be okay and all everything was good you know everything was Oh well, my goodness you've got so many eggs and and I yeah yeah you know that's it's, it's I'm going to be fine and this is what I thought I'm going to be fine my my it's in my family we have children in our 40s um yeah, yeah I'm good I you have to prove that you're socially infertile Oh. First, with me, which means that you have to do the the old turkey basting um for two cycles okay. before you, you can get any uh, medicare before they'll pay some okay. of your IVF. yes uh, so so I did that and they didn't work so then I did I one IVF cycle and um it all looked good got loads of eggs but um, I did a transfer, and, uh, but that didn't work. I did another one. And for the second cycle, I did a thing called PGD testing. And they checked to find out if there are any chromosomal um, problems or any mutations in the, in the cell. And all of mine had mutations, <laughs> except for the one that looked the best the cell died like it just didn't make it to oh, the lab okay but that that one was looking really good and was growing beautifully yeah. so my doctor said well what do you want to do and I said well I didn't want to knowingly have a child that had a disability or um a difficulty yeah um you know I just didn't think that that was going to help yes the child or me yeah uh, so, so I just I actually chose then not to do any more IVF cycles. Uh, so I how many was that
0: in total by the time you reached the decision? Well,
1: four. Okay. Four cycles so far. Yep. Um, and I, I just thought, well, probably will be one in there. Mm. But I, I worked in education and had a part-time business of my own I wasn't going to, I couldn't just throw money at it. Like You hear of people just doing thousands of IVF cycles and selling their house. I I just couldn't do that. And I actually thought, well, if I can get a young, good egg, (laughs) is that actually going to be better? So I gave up the idea of my own egg really easily. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people, but um, I understand that. But I, I, it was really important for me to have a child who was, um, had the best start that they could have. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then, um, amazingly, uh, a friend of mine had gone through our IVF um, using a donor egg themselves. So they understood the situation, and they had some more embryo that left over, and they they donated those to me. <laughs> um so it was just um incredible i thought that anyone would do that i mean i still think would i do that for somebody
0: yeah (laughs) that is an amazing gift to give to a person isn't it
1: it really is so um a doctor said no it's too close uh it's too awkward um anyway they had 16 i think embryos left so a lot Mm. Mm. um and, but none of them worked. I was cut to the chase. Yeah. <laughs> so nice. I think within that, I think I did about eight cycles. So wow. I, um I didn't ever during all of that time, take a pregnancy test
0: oh, <laughs> because wow. um,
1: it was too final, but yeah. I would get my period and no, and then I would have to go in to do a blood test because that was one of the rules for, from the clinic. And then my doctor would call and say whether it worked or not. And I oh, you didn- must have been dreading that call. Yeah. So um, yeah, that wasn't fun because you you just every time just
0: think-
1: yeah yeah it and in your mind you just make it seem like everything's okay. Oh. Um, anyway, none of those worked. Um, and then since then, since I have George, because we all know there's a happy ending. There this. is a happy ending, which I love. Um, I had met up with that, that couple, and it was weird driving to have our breakfast. And I thought, oh, this would be so weird if I was going there. These would, there would be a really close association with these people. These, they just, they were such lovely, giving, fun, beautiful people. Like. Mm. Um, so it would have been okay, but it just wasn't meant to be. So, yeah. yeah. Then um, my doctor told me, she said, somebody has donated some embryos to her to give to one of her patients. And she offered them to me. And I just went, oh, my God, this is amazing. That's just so lucky because that doesn't happen in Australia much. Uh, so I went back to the fertility clinic. You have to go through counseling every time you change. Uh, your way of getting pregnant and um, back to doing cycles. And and again, none of those worked. So uh, I just. <laughs> How old were you by that stage, Meg? I think I was about 44, 45. Mm-hmm. No, I was probably 46. Okay. Sorry. It all melds in. It does. Uh, yeah. So you had to wait. So they had to go th- through all the legal. Uh, you know there were things that had to happen before they were ready to be given yeah. to a person, um, and and then I think I did another probably six of those cycles. There were quite a few of those embryos as well, and they were really good quality. It just seemed like it could work. So the way they grade them is four AA, which is based, It's like getting a nine ninety in your in your <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a really good mark. <laughs> Whereas the ones I'd used previously, they were B quality. And none of them worked. <laughs> oh. Um, so then I just didn't it do you just don't know. Like, is this me? Am I infertile? Or is it the quality or something with the embryo?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's with different doctors, they have different opinions, they have different cycles that you go through. Uh it's it's there's an their science is amazing, but it's still up to the doctors to determine what they think is best. Yeah, um, wow. And at one point my doctor was sick and I went to a different doctor, and I, I would always ask the question. I said, So we've got so many embryos here, if we defrost them all. <laughs> And then find which ones are the healthiest ones when, when they start to grow again. Wouldn't I be best to just start there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was always looking at it a, a little bit from a financial. Yes,
0: of course you would be.
1: Vision as well. Yeah, yeah. And that doctor said, yes, that is the best thing to do. If, okay. if, that, if There's a 1% chance that you would lose some of the viability when you refreeze. Mm -hmm. and so we did that and my doctor still my other doctor was receiving all of the information and she said when she saw that that came through that I defrosted them all she nearly died because that's not her opinion of what you would do.
0: right
1: so I don't know whether I did the wrong thing there um, uh, of doing you're still guided
0: by a specialist
1: I was guided yeah. by a very uh, well-respected specialist that I'd been mm. recommended to go and see. Yeah. Anyway, so in the end, they, they froze and uh, refroze and a lot of them still, I still did transfers. They still were okay for a transfer, but none of them worked, as I've said. And then I didn't know what to do <laughs> because there were no more little miracles. Mm. Um so I started to go online and find egg donors in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then I did find them and and my doctor said she couldn't believe it. She said well, I don't know you must be an amazing writer or something because nobody finds this number of donuts, <laughs> but something um, always went wrong in the end um, like they'd say oh no we found a family friend who wants them I said no to three other ladies in the end it just uh, wasn't going to fit with me yeah <laughs> and that was hard that was so yes. hard yes getting them which was re- rare apparently and then saying no
0: yeah so it must um, be just such an emotional roller coaster you had been going on. You'd, you'd get your hopes up and then there would be dash and hopes up and dashed. I mean that that's that's got to be so stressful and take its toll after.
1: Yeah. So gone. initially, I was really open with my friends. Mm. <laughs> I would tell them, and then um, after a while, oh, this is sad, this makes me sad. Um, i f- it does make you feel like you're a failure yeah sorry it doesn't make you feel that that's how i felt um and so i i stopped telling my friends because um because of that feeling sorry
0: no meg I, i i can i can totally understand why that that would upset you because women who go through that whole cycle usually have a partner that they can share the the load with but I mean you you were probably in a completely different situation where you didn't have that as well so you're dealing with this all by yourself it would have been incredibly difficult incredibly difficult
1: Yeah I suppose it might have been more difficult being on my own but um because I was I, I started working with an amazing lady who's at Noosa. her name is Katie Weber and in a way I think it's so much easier to having or maybe, I don't know the other side, of course. Mm. Um, having a professional to work with, I didn't have to tr- also trying to manage somebody else's emotions. Yes, <laughs> yes. Was... So, I mean, that's the way it, my take on it. Obviously, yeah. it's lovely to have a partner and somebody there to support you, but it's there for them as well. It's Absolutely. hard for them. Yeah, that's a great and I know point. That from, I know that from when I was with this other guy because actually, I'd started the process on my own and he yeah I have mentioned it was a bit dysfunctional but he was still around yeah yeah (laughs) so I did have him there for a little while um and yeah it was a little bit of managing and through the process I've learned so much and now I just think well I probably had to go through that to learn and become a, a like a I wouldn't say a it's probably not a better person but uh a little bit more insightful maybe Mm. a little bit more understanding of other people's situations and um less judgy uh other people uh a lot of the beliefs that I had about life and about how things have to be Mm. I've had to give those away and give and And to learn, then the beliefs are changeable. and yes. well, it's there's so much more out there than than what I used to think about. Uh, I can't explain it, but uh, in terms of what is possible if you actually take the steps mm. and it doesn't have to be a fertility journey or, or no, whatever right. Any,
0: anybody who's gone through a personal growth development gets exactly what you're talking about uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's such it an important part of who you're becoming as a, as a woman or as a yes. person but yeah it
1: yeah, and everybody has their difficulty that they have to work yeah. through
0: yes and
1: I think I was so lucky that I got to work with somebody that was able to show me how life could be yes <laughs> and yes. able to say uh to be quite strong with me but also really gentle yeah uh, so everyone would love to have a partner, someone to share their life with. Mm. But that wasn't where I was at at the time. Mm. And I got to work with a lady who helped me through the process at every step. So oh, that's fabulous. I, fe- I was supported. I had big to pay thanks, for it. Big, big thanks <laughs> to Katie
0: for doing that and getting you through that, that stage yeah. too. Yeah. So from doctor, that point, mm. from that point then, Meg, where, like, we know that there's a happy ending, yeah, and we know that what you went through wasn't working. So, yeah, this is so by kind now, of like the final yeah. chapter of your 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 journey as far as yeah, a pregnancy. Yeah, we're, there, we're
1: there. We're there. There we go. I said the word journey. Said it. <laughs> I know. I, said it, I heard myself. Um, so by then, I think I was about forty-seven. Um, I rang my doctor to say that that I wasn't um, going to go ahead, and I said to her. I think I'm getting a bit old. Um, I I probably have to decide when to stop. Mm. And and I knew that there was another option. It was a more expensive option, Um, but I I didn't know what to do. I just thought these really good quality embryos have not worked. It, It must be something to do with me, but I just wanted to know. If I got a really young, juicy egg, the first in the cycle, would it work? Um, but I was also really concerned about my age. I had Katie telling me that that was a concept of the mind <laughs> and that I had to get past it. But it was also my doctor. I, I remember I was standing next to a big dumpster at school because it was a really private spot that I could talk. Yeah. <laughs> and and she said don't let age be the thing that stops you and i just thought okay so if a professional person who knows my health history yeah um and she said it i, I i've got to try i've got, oh. got to know yeah and and the other option was to go to south africa and um they have a really great donor program over there they have different laws so you can go over there that, that you can choose from a huge bank of donor profiles egg donors of course Mm -hmm. they have sperm donors as well that's easy to come by in Australia as well as South Africa so it was because of the eggs that I was going there yeah uh so I decided to go um and I didn't have any money (laughs) um I was lucky to have a home so I'd been using my home loan and remortgaging and um yeah, I I did find a somebody to help me. So they'd said yes. Within ten days, I'd organised everything. I was going to leave in um the end of February in twenty. Was it twenty twenty? <laughs> when was when Virginia. was
0: COVID? oh gosh yes. I, when did um, the world? No, twenty twenty. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like you, man. It's all the last couple of years with everything that's happened in the world is yes, we should have had that burned into our brain. Yes.
1: So I was going to leave February 2020. And then um, in it was my birthday of 2019, which is December. Um, this person ran and said, I've decided against it. Um, it's probably dodgy what you're going to do. And um they pulled the finance <sighs> um and and, that, and that's their choice That that's absolutely yeah. their choice and then of course then COVID came um and I had to wait a couple of years before I could find the money myself once it was time for me to go I got my doctor to write a letter to get um an exemption to travel for medical reasons and I got there and I had a message from the doctor and I just went, oh that is so lovely he's welcoming me to South Africa and then I read in the message that he'd had to cancel my the, the donor cycle for some medical reasons uh and that the that cycle was not going to happen oh. <laughs> and I just went oh my god I'm now just you get gone. that news you're in another country all by yourself and you go now what <laughs> and i just went no i have to do hotel quarantine for nothing that is not uh, okay yeah but then i read further on in the email and he said well we've got some basically some spare eggs in the freezer there are two donor <laughs> two di- donor options that i could choose from so i chose one of those and then you have to wait um for that to defrost and then they 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 are then um I suppose, coupled with the sperm and then the embryo starts to develop. It goes through different processes. So after five days, you go in and have the transfer. And, um, anyway, they send updates, little emails Yes. Um, as they develop. And I was watching it and I was going, oh, this actually looks worse than one of my cycles that I had done with my own eggs because I think there were 17 or 18 at the beginning. Um, there was only two left after by um, about the fourth day of wow. the development. And I got there on the fifth day, turned up, and I thought, okay, this is good. And then I saw my doctor go around the corner and have this big discussion with a whole heap of people. And I was like, oh, that's ridiculous, thinking that's about me. It's not about me. Everything's fine. <laughs> Anyway, and then I saw my doctor and he said, come in. And he said, um, so sorry, but we can't do a transfer. And I think I said, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. That was <laughs> And then I went, oh no, I'm just a crass Australian. <laughs> <laughs> um and then he took me into the lab and showed me everything just I suppose to help me with the processing yeah back into his office and I was trying to find a solution in my mind I was just thinking there has to be something there has to be a solution um and then I said to him is there an option c and I still don't know if I hadn't asked because it was quite mm. some time that he let me sit there and process, and I remember just being absolutely flabbergasted. I couldn't believe it. But he said yes. Then I went, "Oh, okay. What is it?" And he said, "We've had a lady who is from Europe, and that's all the information he could tell me. She's had a very successful cycle. She's had uh, in she has two healthy children." and has another, um, I think there were 10 viable embryos that were really top quality. And um, I was welcome to have them again at no extra charge if I wanted them. And I said, yes, that would be great. (laughs) And he said, no, you have to read through the information and check to see that this would work for you. So I read through all of that. And I actually went Oh, this is really good. I'd felt more comfortable with them than any other uh, that I'd seen, Uh, except I saw um, there was a picture of the male, the sperm donor, and I'd forgotten momentarily that you can't see an adult photo of them. What it is is a celebrity lookalike. Right. But it was like a guy with really short hair, And it looked a bit to me like a mugshot. I was going, gosh, he could have chosen a better photo than his mugshot, but that's okay. That's all right. I think that's okay. And it wasn't until I got home that I went, oh, that's right, this celebrity lookalike. And he put Kelly Slater. (laughs) And of course, you know, we never look like our. It doesn't really mean anything. But um, it was obviously Kelly Slater when he had really short hair. Um, I think that tells a little bit about my state of mind at the moment, <laughs> at the time. <laughs> anyway, I went back in and I said, I'd love to go ahead. So an hour later, they transferred two embryos. I asked for two um, because of my history of none of really good quality one's not working and I'd rather the risk of two instead of the risk of none. Uh, the doctor over there said, no, you will have twins and on your own, that is ridiculous. <laughs> mm. And I said, um, I, I just, can you please transfer too?" to <laughs> And he did. Um, I travelled around Cape Town and Surround, which was really fun because it was during COVID and there were no tourists. Uh, and I just felt very free. And I just loved the time there, apart from my stressing that was going on mm. inside. And I hadn't told any friends or anybody. Um, that I had gone anywhere. But I had two friends that, that they were just going, what's going on? Like, wh- why are you so busy? <laughs> because I kept saying, No, I'm really busy. I, I've got to, I'm going here and there. And yeah. And um, so I was in hotel quarantine and I did tell two people. And so they then started bringing me every day to check that I was okay because I told them that it hadn't worked. Um, and I got to the point where I knew that I had to take the test, and I—I'd never taken a pregnancy test before because I couldn't do it. Anyway, I—I I on the stick, and I obviously did it incorrectly because when I looked, it said E, so it was an error. <laughs> oh, okay, so I waited another day because I wanted to make sure that I did the first wee of the day. You know. <laughs> I remember it. Yes,
0: yes.
1: (laughs) And um, I did it, and then I put it up on the bench. It was similar, a bit similar to like in the movies where I just went, hasn't worked, so I won't bother with that. Packed up the drugs, um, and then I looked at it, and it said, "pregnant," but it had a flashing light next to it. So I was just going. Oh, my God, somebody has designed this bloody thing saying pregnant, but it's going to flash up in a minute saying not. That's terrible. That's so mean to do that to people. And I came back and it said four and a half weeks pregnant. <laughs> and I just went, oh, my God, it, it's saying it, I, I actually, um, actually yeah. I don't think I, st- I still don't think I believe it. Um, Anyway, I got on my call um, with Katie and Katie is a very practical person, teaches practical skills to help you work through things, but she also is uh, very connected somehow to the universe and what's going on. And I couldn't say the words when I spoke to her, I said, I did the test and I don't know what I said actually, I can't remember. But she said, you have to say it to me. And I said, it said I was pregnant. And she said, yes, you are. And um, and then I went through the process of getting a blood test in hotel quarantine, which was crazy and oh. kind of funny. And um, and then my doctor called because eventually she got the results. And she said, it's a really high reading, but she mm. said, I don't know if it's one or two. Um, and I think I was out of quarantine for about a week before I had the six week appointment with her, mm-hmm. my first scan where they checked for heartbeat and so forth. And it was then that I found out that it was only one um, embryo. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a risk that paid off. Luckily. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you've got beautiful George, yeah, and now I oh. have and, and he's, he's, always, he's an absolute delight. He's gorgeous, he really is a beautiful, happy little baby who eats and sleeps and yeah. laughs and crawls like a bear. And um, yeah. he's now one, so he was actually born at 36 weeks,
0: yeah,
1: and he didn't have to. Go into ICU at all he came straight up with me he was perfect and um totally ready and he's um by the time he was six weeks old they said he's he'd reached all his growth milestones that he he should have for a full-term baby and now he's yeah he's quite he's absolutely thriving
0: he's a big boy I can attest to that
1: (laughs) he's the most delicious
0: little baby he's gorgeous you want to get your hands on him
1: And I just, I'm so, there was one thing I was a bit worried about that I'd go through all this and then I'd have him and I'd go, oh, this is hard. This is, you know, what if I got postnatal depression? What if it's Mm. not what I really want? But it is. I just feel, I'm nearly thankful for the whole process because I just feel so grateful every time I look at him that. Mm that he came to me and he is um, so
0: loved and what what an incredibly lucky little young man he is to have someone who is so dearly loved
1: because a lot of of children do not have that no and I I don't feel any lack for not having a partner or a father for him Mm. at this stage I'm not sure you know I can't say what's going to happen in the future what will happen for him um but Um, yeah I I can't say that there's been anything that's been difficult yeah Um, he's so healthy and I haven't gone I don't know what maybe when once I go back to work um you know once that that could be different that it might be get a little bit difficult but I had a dream first year
0: oh that's fabulous that's all anyone could ever wish for
1: it really it is yeah yeah.
0: well, Meg, sharing that story there's a, as I said earlier there'd be a lot of women who have gone through their own struggles with falling pregnant and going through IVF who can absolutely identify the the highs and the lows that you would have gone through and um I'm just so thankful that you've shared that beautiful story with us and for for being so open and honest so yeah many thanks.
1: No well, no worries at all. Yeah. And so what are you
0: looking forward to most in the future, Meg?
1: well i think um it's now building my life with george and just being his mom yeah. and looking after him and helping him grow and be who he uh, wants to be yes and i think through this process of having to you know give up beliefs that i had it was given to me i suppose as a child is to try and, of course, you know, no one is a perfect parent and there's no way I would even aspire to that because I think that's mm. actually quite scary for a child. Yeah. Yes. um, <laughs> To have someone that never makes mistakes, but, um, but to be able to apologise for that and to mm. help him grow the way he needs to be. And I think it will actually help in my business as well just to... Oh, I'm sure
0: it will. You see things through different eyes when you are understand. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah oh, I look forward, I look forward to seeing okay. how it all unfolds for you and George too in the years Thanks to come. So, I'll let you know. Yeah. Now, Meggie, if you could look into the future, what do you hope 80-year-old Meg
1: is going to say about current day, Meg? Oh, just if I... Some people now say, how did you make that decision to do that?
0: Mm.
1: And I just think, what if I didn't make that decision? What if I let the fear drive me, the fear of having a child on my own or the fear of going through another cycle or the fear of being a failure, which is the thing that got me before, is uh, that I would ultimately do the thing that might work, which was go to South Africa and it would still not work. Yeah. At least I knew uh, that I'd tried everything. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah. Yep. You know, if you can get through that, you can get through anything, Meg.
1: Uh, Well, I don't. Yeah, I can definitely have a crack at it. <laughs> you will, and I know you will. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you very much again, Maggie, and I wish you and George all the very best, all the love and happiness in the future. And uh, yes, thank you for sharing your story with us today.
1: It was my pleasure, Joey. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening and sharing your time with me
0: today. I'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple podcast or your favorite podcast app to keep spreading these empowering messages. Please share this podcast with other incredible midlife women in your world. Join me again next week for another redefining midlife conversation. Thanks again for tuning in.